Hello, and welcome to the podcast program In Community and Company, presenting inspiring conversations about how communities galvanize. I'm your host, Eric Sloss. The podcast is produced by the Community Engagement Program at Point Park University and recorded in the Center for Media Innovation at the university in front of a studio audience of no one. So galvanize uh, means shock or excite community into action. How does a community spark into action? Um, today, today we want to examine how food can galvanize a community for, for good or for bad. And to help explore this topic is Jen Safran, proprietor of Spretzitora. Um, I couldn't think of anyone else to help better explore this topic than you, Jen. Thank, Thank you so much. Uh, the, the philosophy of your uh, fine food establishment is that food is love. I think that's a fantastic way to begin to think about the philosophy of, of food. And then you also say food and hospitality are the sources of belonging, nourishment, growth, and community. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is welcome at the table. So, to, so, so in the context of galvanizing a community and your philosophy as a company, like how do you how do you begin to uh, unpack and unravel this way of accepting other people through food? Well, I mean, I think let's go back to the beginning. I mean, I think the very first thing that happens when we're born is we eat. Right. I mean, we yeah. cry and then we eat. <laughs> we breathe and then we eat, you know. And so I think that on a super basic level, um, this is kind of where it's at in terms of knowing that you're supposed to be here on the planet. Um, obviously, food is sustenance, but I think that that in in the work that we do, it's moving beyond that concept of, you know, making sure people get a meal or survival could be one way of thinking about it. And then if we kind of move up the taxonomy, we get into hospitality, generosity, purpose, you know, belonging, higher levels of thinking about what is this food actually doing? Yeah, I'm eating and I'm living, it's keeping me alive. But what is happening in the process of that eating? Most of the time we eat with other people. Um, even if we don't eat with other people, somebody made that for you or somebody grew that for you, then you made it. There's never anything other than the human touch when we talk about food. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, I had a other career, right, that we know each other through the arts. And so working, you know, for 25 years in arts and education and community involvement there, too. You know, it was a natural progression to move into uh, the independent food business with that kind of lens already in place. You know, like, how is this food business going to make a difference in this community? Not just as a small business, but in terms of the affordability, the health, the accessibility of this food. I'm so glad you went there because I think that was a very important piece of what I wanted to talk to you about is how this artistic connection with food. I mean, it's not just the beauty of it, the cooking of it. I mean, there's that aspect of it. And you yeah. do pre the presentation of it and in your work is, is really quite sculptural and artistic. Thank you. And But there is this nourishment that art provides to communities that's that's important that we sometimes forget. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm curious about that leap. I mean, if you want to unpack that, you have your MFA from Bard. Yes. Um, so, so you know how art can impact community, but can you make that connection a little deeper about art and food? Sure. Well, I mean, I think for sure, um, 
my background is in documentary studies and in communication. So it's not necessarily in painting or in the decorative arts. So, I mean, I think that representation has always been important to me, that, that people have been the focus of my photography and filmmaking and, um, and field work and teaching. So <clears throat> understanding that is sort of the core value that, you know, fundamentally all the work I do is about people, you know, and about people coming together and, and doing better for one another. Um, you know, I think the purpose of documentary is really to not just raise awareness, but to spark uh, understanding, a better human understanding of people that may not be like us or uh, a new way of thinking about our own communities. Um, the kind of work I was doing in documentary was not just uh, journalistic, but much more um, media literacy oriented and um, with community. So the concept of power with, not power over, or sort of the colonial gaze, but more so how are we working together to make this uh, film to show an audience that they care about the issues that they're facing. In the same way, um, you know, I always knew I wanted to have a little restaurant. Like I always knew that. Ever, forever. Forever. Okay. Yeah. Even, Even through your arts, your, your very talented arts administrator, this was a passion. For you. It's always been a passion. Okay. Of mine. Okay. Yeah. And it's mostly expressed itself through community engagement, through um, things like cooking large meals for the homeless, um, working on the community Christmas dinner in, in Georgetown for the elderly. So the idea that food can be a contribution, can help communities, or cooking food like spaghetti fundraiser dinners. This is how I was raised, right? So big church community spaghetti fundraisers, right? For the CYO, for the basketball league, you know, this is how we were raised. And so it, as I became an adult and had my own family, I began really getting into food because now I was cooking for my kids and I was cooking for my husband and I was like doing, doing family life and cooking for people I wanted to impress, like my new in-laws and, you know, and things like that. And so I began uh, exploring food in a new way. And then at some point, a friend of mine invited me to make dinner for her husband's 40th birthday. She was like, let's make this sneaky dinner. I'll be surprised. And, well, I can invite these certain people, blah, blah, blah. And afterwards, she said, you know, I don't really know why you keep doing this sort of like nonprofit-y document. You're so good at it, but you really are, you should just do food. And I, after I graduated Carnegie Mellon with my BFA, I had gone immediately to work at the Beehive. And I was one of their very first baristas. And I went there to give myself a little break from and maybe, and maybe we should, uh, you know, share what that beehive environment really was. I mean, this place was a um, pretty eccentric coffee place. I mean, yeah. a really genuine uh, point of hub for the south side of Pittsburgh. Yeah. And it was one of the first uh, sort of, you know, Stephen Scott who owned it. You know, they went down there and planted a flag. I mean, there were still, we were next door to like an unheated deli. There was still like chicken, you know, Dolata's poultry. There were lots of places like that that were still uh, sort of speaking to the old school uh, steel mill, you know, the mill site tavern, all that stuff was still there. And um, it was fun being down there because it was like we were creating something and it was filled with artists and musicians. Um, Rusted Root got some of their early gigs there, you know, um, it was fun. And I learned a lot about people and I realized I love this. I love having a little cafe, a little coffee, people being here, sharing the news, talking, 
and being in community together. This is like my idea of heaven, you know? And, um, and so I always had that in the back of my mind. So really one day I was reading, uh, next Pittsburgh and they put an article out there saying, Hey, there's this group and they're going to do this, uh, food incubator program and you can apply. And like the deadline is tomorrow. You know, it was like the deadline is like now. And I thought, wow, this is what I need because I don't have any problem cooking food. I have no idea how to run a food related business. And I was scared of thinking about it. Right. I had this big job at the university and I had little kids and, and I thought, you know, I'll do this later when I get older. Well, suddenly I was older, you know, and I was on my own. I'd gotten divorced and my kids were about to fly the coop. And I thought I better be thinking about what I'm going to do because I, I have a whole other life. I like, I have the rest of my life to live. So I did apply and I was accepted. And the next thing you know, I spent a year in Millvale with New Sun Rising, who was promulgating this concept of exactly what we're talking about, food as a galvanizing concept for improving community life for people. And through the Eco Districts program, um, which is a national program that works with communities across the nation to, um, through their own agency, determine the standards by which they could be improving their air quality, their transportation, their equity, their uh, environment. And food, of course, is a huge part of that. So there were nine businesses in the incubator, and um, a few of us actually rooted in Millvale, including Tupelo Honey Teas and myself. Um, and so we, at the end of the program, New Sun Rising, Scott Woolridge approached me and he was like, hey, I really think what you've got going is really cool. And I would like to know, I'm gonna buy this building and we're gonna turn it into a solar powered DC microgrid system. And as a demonstration of what's possible with the Eco Districts concepts. And we would love for you to be like a, a tenant, like a uh, anchor tenant with 412 Food Rescue and bring together this concept of energy and food and create a hub for this idea. No. This is so exactly like way back in the day. Your beehive. In my beehive, right. In 1991, this is like my version of that or our version of that, really. And I thought, this is great. Yeah, I'm going to go for it. And wow. so I started a plan to just make that happen. With the incubator's help and their support. They, 100, they, they, yeah. They provided that business planning support and how to yep. raise funding, how to raise money, how to put the business together. Go right. On, right. And there were um, good things already in place. Um, so it isn't like an either or, like I had this career and then I had this big career change. I don't think of it that way. I think of it as the next iteration of community work. That makes sense. You know. Well, you know, what I, what I, I like about your work is that you know your position in the community. And you're very deliberate about that. You're very open about that. I guess, like, from a tactical level. So now you're in Millville. You're in right. other communities. Tell me how you build community through food. Like, what, are the, what does that look like? I mean, you talked about your inspiration through spaghetti dinners and cooking for families. Now you're a business owner, right? Now right. you need to think about it in different ways. How are you building? Because I, I, I don't want to call them customers. I want to call them community members because that's the lens for which I think you think about food and relationships. Mm -hmm. But how, what do you do to, what are the tactical, granular things that you might do to build community? Well, I think there's twofold. The first piece is to think about who might want to eat our food. 
right? Because that's kind of the, that's the con that's the contract, that's the transaction. Is I'm gonna make this porcini bechamel lasagna, and Eric Sloss is gonna eat this lasagna, right? He's gonna love it. Absolutely. And uh, how, you know, how is that transaction actually happening? Do you come into the restaurant? Do you sit down? Does somebody wait on you? Do, do you call? Do you what? What is the trans? What is the nature of the transaction? Because I think that part's often totally overlooked. That that is, it is. the we, basis. We take of the it credit. Yeah, we take it for granted for sure. Right. Right. So the relationship is numero uno, right? On any level, customer level, uh, community stakeholder level, and I think that on the community stakeholder level. Knowing that I'm a small business within a community of other businesses, within the community of other nonprofits, other residents, um, to be responsive to the work that's already been being done. You know, the worst ever is when somebody comes into a community like, I've got this great idea about what you should be doing. You know, I actually don't have a great idea about what people should be doing, you know, other than eating my lasagna, which they do a lot. <laughs> but you know, I do have a great idea that I happen to have energy, resources, and a commitment that we as people can make life better. You know, if we can all share that as sort of the basis. Together as community stakeholders, we actually can self-actualize a better place. Just that understanding. Immediately, there's tons of room for everybody to self-express or share or contribute whatever it is that they've got, you know, everybody's got their own thing. So if what I know is that I make 20,000 meatballs a year, which is true, that's a lot. there is obviously room to sell some of these meatballs and give some of this money to the boys and girls club hmm. because I'm never not going to sell meatballs. Right. And there's never not going to be a need at the Boys and Girls Club for more art supplies, for more books, for more after-school supplies, for more snacks. And at the end of the week, there's always going to be some meatballs left over. And why can't those meatballs go to the Boys and Girls Club? Right. You, you, brought, you brought up a very interesting point about the transaction of food, too. And especially in COVID, like the whole dynamic of that completely changed. And I just think about my trip recently to Toronto, where like every transaction was a handheld credit card machine factor that I would have to make that transaction myself. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing, a thought about the, our relationship to food in that moment that we do take for granted in terms of the financial transaction. Um, and or the accessibility. fact that I'm handing you something that yes. you will then put in your mouth. That's right? very true. Very true. And that, and that dynamic, um, you know, there's some restaurants that's like pay as you, pay as you go or, 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 pay what you have mm -hmm. uh, opportunities. But I always think about that in terms of community and food in the context of that transaction. It's a step, and, I, and but I like how you're thinking about it, about the responsibility of those who are making the food. How does it get into their mouth? Right. You know, that's a very fascinating way to think about that. I think it's really important. Um, we take a lot of care to make our food from scratch. We make it that way for a reason. There probably are plenty of shortcuts I could be making. I don't care. I want to make food the way that it was made for me in my heritage growing up. And, you know, we are a heritage kitchen of cooks that cook from our own 
uh, family recipes from our own countries. Um, and we share that culture honorably and authentically. And I think that that is absolutely rings true for people. Like people call us and tell uh, you, you'd be surprised at how amazing our customers are in terms of like the comment section. Like we'll get a receipt, we'll print it out and like, it'll be inches long. Cause the top will just be like, yeah, I want a bowl of spaghetti meatballs. And then the bottom's like, you made this spaghetti meatball for my daughter and it made such a difference in my family. The other day, um, at Easter time, we made uh, lamb. And I accidentally gave this guy, who I never met, I was looking at the ticket thinking, oh my God, I don't know this guy, Richard, the wrong size lamb. So I had short shifted him. For which he purchased. Or he already bought it. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. And so he bought it for six, but I gave him lamb for four. Oh, wow. And I was like horrified. So I'm trying to get this guy to call me back. <clears throat> calls me back. I said, Richard, I'm really sorry, but I gave you the wrong size lamb and I owe you some more lamb. He's like, okay, that's totally great. I'll be right over. And I was like, no, I'll go to you, Richard. Cause you know, he's like, no, 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 no. You guys are really busy. It's Easter. I'll just come right over. Comes over. I go outside and I give him his lamp. And he said, I say, I'm really sorry. And he said, you know what? Last week, my mom died. And I know you don't know this, but my daughter bought a pan of lasagna. And I just want you to know the comfort that that brought me. Wow. So powerful. And I was like, that's amazing. He's like, yeah you guys really help my family and that's what food does for people right that's why we that's why people order pans of things from us or meals it's because they're going to take it home and bring the comfort you know we don't make meatloaf we don't make that kind of comfort food but well i mean maybe we should make i don't know but i think there's something really important about that that often gets overlooked especially you know when we talk about pittsburgh being a foodie town and fancy food you know we're not endeavoring to do that it's just not managers i do think there are people that erroneously come to the cafe and want to eat that are fancy food people and um or people that are used to like just eating in a normal cafe which we're not and then they want like a diet coke and we just don't support coca-cola right and you know we buy from natron island and they are like what do you mean because they're local so we're, we are a gold level sustainable restaurant. So from the operation side, all the way to the transaction side, our goal is to be totally authentic, transparent, sustainable, relational oriented, um, and caring, Right. you know, and that's the goal. And hopefully that can inspire people to do better themselves. You know, that's kind of it. We also have events in our space that are completely designed to do that. Um, we haven't had them during COVID, but we have community dinners, we host them. We have Italian night, we host that, share about our own heritage. We also have things like wine education classes where Adam um, Adam Kneiser from Burgundy Wines will come and share. But we also do radical stuff like, you know, Adam's gay and we're having pride. We're gonna have wine pride, you know, in Millvale, which uh, so in terms of like galvanizing community, we just got an email from someone saying, we're gonna do our very first pride in Millville. It's gonna be great. And I'm thinking this is about community becoming more open and accepting and inclusive right that's huge that's huge i definitely want to be a part of that absolutely and then that you could shepherd and build that programming um that's the tactic right that's right. the community tactic that you're doing that you're building i was just thinking about your your you mentioning the cafe your commitment to italian cuisine yeah i'm just thinking about the uh, diner in millville 
there's a famous diner in Millville. I think didn't Barack Obama? P and G pre- Diner, Lincoln's P and G Diner. Right, President. I think he had pancakes there. He did. But there's actually a cafe right across the street that has almost the exact same menu. And when I was doing some community work, I didn't find this out until later. But, but I wanted to serve Pakistani food. He, he cooked me Pakistani food, and it was out of this world Were delicious. You like dying it was the best thing ever. But but I mean I mean that's the difference between your work and his work. I mean he can he can make money making diner food because everybody's going to go to this other diner and he'll just get all the backfill. And he has this wonderful talent for what you do that you're expressing with the community. I think that's a fascinating way to commit to that Italian cuisine. You can make cafe food. Yeah. And probably make a lot of money making cafe food. Well, sometimes we do. I mean, if we don't make that kind of that kind of food, but diner food. Diner food, but sometimes we'll make things like potato salad. Sure. But we make it our way with preserved lemons and right. stuff that you know, right. we'll do it our way. But um, I think you know, it's funny. I feel like going up there and telling that guy to make cafe. <laughs> you have to. He made it for he made it for me, and I. I would it was, love to it was just it was heavenly. It was heavenly, but. But, um, but but your commitment to Italian food, I think that's something very interesting. And how does that play out in terms of how you build community in, her- in your own personal heritage? Why commit to that? Um, well, that's what we know the best. Okay. And so I think it's, uh, I absolutely think it's important to be oneself. I mean, there are definitely things. We cook Sunday supper every Sunday and, you know, we will stretch ourselves to make new kinds of foods during that time. And, um, I, I often, I do feel like in the beginning when we, we had a very simple menu, it was a very tiny menu, and uh, the only two things we offered for mains were roasted vegetable lasagna and spaghetti meatballs for like two months, just to see what would happen. And you know, there were a couple of people who kind of scoffed at the idea that they would pay money for spaghetti meatballs, but we make the best meatballs, period. I'm clear, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. I know that because right. we sell 20,000 of them right. a year, you know? <laughs> and so the idea is, okay, well, you know, we actually are experts at making meatballs. You know, I don't think spaghetti is, you know, you could go get that for a dollar and I understand those things, but you have to have a vehicle for these meatballs. We also sell meatball hoagies. We also sell meatball, we sell all kind of meatball. Um, and during the holidays, we make traditional foods that we ate growing up, like anisette bread in a braid. You know, you can't buy that. Or escarole and anchovy ham pie. You know, you're not going to be able to buy that anywhere else, um, at least that I know of. Um, well, it makes me think about William LaDuke's quote. She's an American environmentalist and economist, and she wrote, Food for us comes from our relatives. Yes. Whether they have wings or fins or roots, this is how we consider food. Food has a culture, it has a history, it has a story, it has a relationship. And um, what I what I love about just you know eating with others is are the stories that we tell. Yeah. And um, is, how how does storytelling play play a role in your work? Well, I mean, we just did Grandma Month, right? So for Women's Grandma. History, I don't know if you caught that. On no, social. I didn't. How fun. Yeah. So um, last year we were just thinking about what we wanted to do and it was February and I said why don't we do grandma week and we'll do we'll do recipes that you know our grandmas made and Lorraine starts telling a story about how her family 
had to go work on their family farm on the weekend sometime and pick corn and and um, it was kind of dr- a little bit of drudgery but everybody did it and so her grandma Angelica would make this altono which is like a I mean not altono alforno which is um, my grandmother would make altono um, which is like a baked pasta dish with cauliflower and ground beef and it was super homey and you know Lorraine was like we can't make it unless we have the oval shaped you know, roast your pan, you know, she's really specific about it. And we would make Altono and, you know, every time we make things that our grandma made for us and we tell people, it's sold out, period, done. That's that's wonderful. You I know, mean, it was just the story behind the food itself that people wanted to engage in. Yeah, we yeah. told stories all month about our grandmas and everybody picked something that the grandma made and then we would make it. And some of it was funny, like Cecile's grandma, she was like, my grandma Odette was the worst cook ever, so I'm going to make this thing that reminds me of her, this kind of way, this dessert, it was delicious, you know. And Bianca's mom, grandma's from Puerto Rico, we made coquito, you know, and people could add their rum, and then they could take it home and have a drink. Um, but in general, we made Italian-American things, and some of it's hard, you know, like the Ferretti sisters ravioli. It's not easy to make ravioli for 60 people, you know, it's a lot. Of rolling. Um, but we also tell stories to each other. So, I mean, we tell stories to our customers. Um, certainly when we table visit, when the cafe is open, people ask us all the time, like, hey, where'd this come from? Or what is this? Or, you know, we'll always talk. But the most fun, I think, is when we talk amongst ourselves and kind of make fun a little bit of our own family or remember things, you know, like this is what we do or you know, even things like, you know, visiting with our elders in my mom's hometown. My cousin, my mom's cousin, Dana Petulia, would give us a bag of brown paper bag filled with candy and popcorn. And sneaking away and eating that, you know, like as a kid was like, we're so Big all deal. that, you know. And remembering those kinds of things. Or my, um, my cousin Cece is married to a guy who he and her brother, Bill, would have hot pepper eating contests mm-hmm. and they would stand there and they would like try to one up each other. It was the worst and they would be sweating and, you know, <laughs> just these kind of remembrances are fun and right. thinking about things. And you're right. I mean, our moms and grandmoms and some of our dads cook food, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, in terms of the topic of the podcast, where does gal- where, when does it go wrong? You know, when does that galvanizing go wrong? Or restaurants or, or food in general? Um, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot because of COVID, you know, and it's been so hard to stay open during this time, to be frank. I think, and, you know, one in now it's almost one in five restaurants in the United States have closed because of COVID. Um, I think that where food always goes wrong is when it's like people forget that it's really a triple bottom line. You know, food is about people, profit, and planet, all three. And obviously people from what we've been talking about and, you know, planet in terms of buying organic, buying local, composting, taking care of the planet, knowing that when you purchase food and source food for your restaurant, that it's it's a part of a lar- much larger system. and we can either be part of the problem or part of the solution. And, you know, we choose to be part of the solution. Yes, it costs more money to buy, you know, organic basil, but it's far better quality. I know I'm supporting Todd Wilson, who owns Tiny Seed Farm. I know that it makes a difference, you know, for the 
for the soil. And I know it, it's better for people. It's better for their health. Um, I think where it goes wrong is when restaurants try to cut corners because they're worried about profit. And yeah, we should be worried about profit. We're small businesses. We're, you know, I own my own business outright, but there are people that have investors they have to answer to and other kinds of things like that. Um, so I think we're seeing that right now. Um, you know, the, we're not open for business yet because the numbers in Allegheny County, frankly, continue to rise and they've risen since March and it's irresponsible to potentially make people sick. That said, I also get to go food for my own family. And when I go out and go into restaurants and see that it's not always safe, that I recognize how pressed people are for profit. I think that um, where it also goes wrong in that way is lack of creativity. And I don't mean creative creativity in terms of artistry. I mean creativity in terms of being creative. And, you know, Grandma Week is an example of being creative. And it's a way that drove profit, right? People bought all that food and ate it and enjoyed it and laughed and told stories to us about their grandmas and called us on the phone and had long conversations with us. And one guy called and just started speaking Italian straight off the bat, you know, and, and the enjoyment of all of that. So I think when, you know, when we forget that it's, it's all three things, people, profit, planet, and people includes our own staff, our own families, our own, all the people that we work with, our neighbors, you know, I mean, thinking about how many people have been hungry during COVID is hard. Oh. We've been really fortunate to form a community, uh, community food Tuesdays where people can purchase meals. It does all three things. It helps us employ our people. It helps us utilize small batches of food that we can't turn into a special or make into something big, but we can make a meal for five people out of it. And so it helps our profit. It helps sustainability because we're not wasting things. And it, it helps, you know, the people. The people who need this food, you know, we work with the Boys and Girls Club primarily to identify families that need meals. So here's an example of how COVID could have been like this horrible, devastating thing. And yeah, it was really tough last year. I'm not going to lie. Like learning how to even source to go materials. We didn't know anything about that. We just opened the cafe November 29th. You know, our business was totally built on catering and events. And in four days, all of that evaporated. So standing on the weakest link was hard, but building it from the foundation of knowing that at the heart of our work is hospitality, is caring about people, is providing a meaningful meal that is affordable, healthy, accessible, and loving, is what we have to offer, you know, and it's what can move things forward. Again, where I think this, I think that a lot of restaurants don't think like that because they're not community organizers or community workers or documentarians. They want to move food, not people. Right. And it's how many units can I move? How many dinner specials can I sell? Yeah, I do have to think about that kind of stuff too, but it doesn't drive the thinking. Um, and I think that's why some people chose to close. It's too hard. 
it's a mindset, you know, and the, we've been in this, you know, capitalistic trap that it's got to be either the relationship or the profit. You know, it really can be both. It, these things can coexist. And so I think where it goes wrong is, you know, we're going to lay off all of our people, do some kind of profit driven thing that's going to keep the owners alive while the workers are on unemployment. And no one wins. The only people that win in that situation are the corporate people who are selling styrofoam clamshell boxes that are littering our streets. That's right. So, yeah, I think that's where it goes wrong. I hope that made sense. It did. Jen Safran, proprietor of Spresitora, woman-owned community cafe and catering kitchen. Yeah. You're doing amazing work. You're a fantastic artist, community organizer. Thank you. What, how else can we get connected with uh, the cafe and the catering? Awesome. Well, there are several ways. So one way is you can just go to our website at www.spretzaturapgh.com. That's S-P-R-E-Z-Z-A-T-U-R-A-P-G-H.com. And you can check out our menu, first of all. But you can also think about, is there somebody in your life that you would like to buy a meal for? Somebody who has COVID? Somebody who can't get out? Um, or do you just want to sponsor a family to eat? So you can click on, on the menu, Community Food Tuesdays, and sponsor. Um, these are discounted meals, so we're not making money off of people in need. So I just want to be super clear on that. Um, but we are helping solve uh food gap and close the hunger gap, especially for families and kids. That's our main focus. Um, you can also get involved by looking at your own community and bringing the spirit of Spretzatura. You know, Spretzatura means that you care a lot, but you appear super chill. And that's kind of our panache. And we want to engender the listeners of this podcast to get out to your own community, meaning find out where there are hunger needs in your own neighborhood make a contribution to the food bank, the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Uh, think about who in your own neighborhood, like I said earlier, may need a meal. Those are some ways to get involved. We do have amazing events and a lot of fun on the horizon for the warmer weather. So some of the sneak previews on this podcast are um, we're working with uh, other Millville businesses to be open late on Thursdays, and we're going to be activating our parking lot with lots of fun, like rosé wine tastings, cigar smoking, bocce, all kinds of Italian fun out in the parking lot. Um, We do have outdoor seating, weather permitting on Friday and Saturday night, and that's always fun because you can go to Grist House, we're BYOB, by the way, and or any Strange Roots or any of the other places, Lucky Sign Spirits, pick up your drink of choice, come to the cafe and support Millville. I think that's a great thing to do. Uh, early on when we opened, somebody said to me, "Why? I don't understand why you're not going to the Strip or Lawrenceville. I said, do you think they need somebody like me? I don't think they need somebody like me. I don't think they want somebody like me. Um, and it's true because we want to have a lot more community fun. The other thing you can do is think about if you want to have your own party or private event in our space. We are in a converted moose lodge. It is a nice big room. And if you want to have your own fun, and uh, let us cook for you. We also do that too. 
perfect. I may we may see a Pakistani uh, an Italian food mashup, maybe. I'm actually not even kidding you. I wrote this <laughs> like I'm so, really thinking. About it. <laughs> you would pull this off, Jen. This, this, you would totally pull pull it off. And I like your idea of, uh, about the definition of the title of your of your uh, company and uh, the cafe. You care a lot, but you're laid back. Food is love. Yeah. You proved it today in this fascinating conversation, Thank Jen. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, and thank you for listening to In Community and Company. You can find the program on Transistor FM, as well as Buzzsprout. Thank you to Heather Starr-Fiedler, Chair of the Department of Community Engagement, and Dr. Andrew Conti, the uh, Director of the Center for Media Innovation. I would like to wish Studio Coordinator Jacob Ballesteri good luck where he goes. He's finding a new job somewhere else. He's, he's got a new cool job, uh, full-time job, so he's been very helpful for this podcast. Jacob, I wish you nothing but the best of luck, and thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.